In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 235. That's right. Quarterly, quarterly Episode four ish, you know, whatever. Don't know how we're titling these things like in the episode. I know how we're doing it on iTunes, but like, the title of these things in episode, I don't know. Just quarterly, quarterly, the fourth installment. Otherwise known as Come and Knock on My Door. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, just you wait, listen. Se- secret code word. <laughs> <laughs> so this issue, Yellow Magic, Green Death. Alan Scott is killed on Monday by Solomon Grundy. And then Nort versus Eclipso? Uh, uh, well, switch it up a little bit just because – what do you think of the cover? It's probably better than most of the issue. No, <laughs> no the, cover, the, cover is, the cover is cool. I mean it's actually the, – the story that it re- relates to inside is actually I think probably one of the more interesting ones in the book. So uh, it's kind of – it's got a lot of a lot of interesting images on that cover. <laughs> Chick, chicken lingerie, devil dinosaur, the specter, or and none of not none of which are really there except for the chicken lingerie. <laughs> and, it, and it looks like the specter's fighting a rogue, done, done t- kind of taking an opposite Bruce Jenner and becoming a guy. <laughs> with, that, with, that, with that skunk spot on 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 his head, it's like oh. Is that rogue? Yeah. Is that a male rogue? No, it's not. But it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like uh, he's he's wearing the, the pirate boot. Ah, whatever. We'll move on. <clears throat> so Mark is sandwiching my reviews. So you're taking this. Well, the this the the Hal Jordan parts, which are on both sides, because obviously every one of these is like a bookend. Yeah, we're gonna like go to the Book of Oa and learn some stories about some Green Lanterns. So. And then you get to the actual stories. Mark's going to take the first story, and obviously the bookends of these. I'll take the Alan Scott, then the North story, and then Mark will take the final story, and of course the final bookend for the Hal Jordan thing. Something like that. That's right. <laughs> All right, you ready? I guess so. All right, go ahead. All right, so editor's note, which is kind of appropriate. <laughs> As the, the prologue, the bookends... You know, the Hal Jordan bookends to this are entitled The Book of Order, as we kind of already have established in every other one of our quarterly episodes, that every, every one of these books is entitled The Book of Something. So this one is The Book of Order. And for those who might remember, <laughs> there's got to be somebody out there. Long time ago when we did Green Lantern Quarterly Number 1, it almost became – it was probably less annoying more than interesting. 
more than I should say more than com more than it was less annoying than it was comical. That pretty much almost it seemed like every page of the bookend story was kind of like a with an editor's note pushing another Green Lantern book. <laughs> oh mosaic, Guy Gardner, whatever it was at the time. Well, if you thought that was annoying. <laughs> Maybe a little comical, but a, a little bit annoying. Well, you haven't seen anything yet till you read this story. <laughs> because I, I, I counted this up before. Basically, the whole the whole beginning of this book, of this story is Hal Jordan duking it out with this with this alien called Omida um, um, Let's say Omida, and who kind of looks like a cross between kind of like the partially the predator and maybe like. The lizard or the iguana from like Spider-Man comic books. That's kind of what he has. This weird kind of like amalgam. That's what his costume looks like. But Hal is having the most. Hal is picking a really uh, when you first read look at the story. He's having this really picking a really bad time for this. All this reflection It's like how can he concentrate on what he's doing? And, but then you kind of understand because basically, and I'm 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 going to sum this up quickly. <laughs> Basically, Hal is testing this 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 Umida to see if he's worthy of basically being a recruit to join the Green Lantern Corps. But during this several-page battle between the two characters, basically, unfortunately, somebody thought it was a, re- a really good idea to encapsulate, in editor's notes, pretty much everything that happened in Green Lantern, including in Justice League and well, Justice League International, too, I think. There are so many references in this, in these like four or five pages. It's hard to keep them straight. I think I, I think I counted nineteen, dif, nineteen books that are referenced. At least <laughs> nine, at least nineteen specific books that are referenced with an asterisk in these like four or five pages. And basically everything that happened from the beginning of Green Lantern Volume Through Volume Three, Issue Number One, I think, through Issue Thirty Six. In some way, shape, or form, they're all referenced in the story, along with stuff that happened to John and Mosaic, and again, like references to. Uh, uh, he mentions Star Sapphire. He mentions Justice League Spectacular. All the Ganthet's Tale, Justice League. I mean, Justice League Europe or whatever. It's like I swear to God. I mean, it was every basically everything that happened to any Green Lantern in, in the last in the three years, <laughs> the first three years of Volume Three are referenced on these five pages. <laughs> All three pages. Is it only three? Yeah. The whole story three? I know one stuff I know they dodged the bullet on the first page and they don't have any asterisks, even though they do still talk about the they basically avoid the uh, asterisk, but they still talk about like the first few like the first six or seven issues I think of volume three. So yeah one Yeah the the two, first the first three. page just Yeah you're three. right it is sadly it is only three pages. It just reads longer. So uh uh just just, just for uh, go to go to the Facebook page, uh, and I will have posted all three of these pages. Uh, well, yeah, just for the sake of continuity, there are no references to other issues on the first page, but just for the sake of you getting this this first part of the story, uh, I will post post images of all three pages on the Facebook page somewhere. Obviously, we'll probably have more posts by the time you hear this. Um, so just scroll down a little bit, and you'll see the pictures. Uh, and I guess I'll post them on the on the the website as well. I don't see why not. Right, because they they kind of, which is kind of funny. They kind of avoid ha- and they're I guess probably from a creative decision point of view, they avoid having to put an asterisk on the first page because basically it's just one long recap of issues one through eighteen because you don't actually get the asterisk until the second panel of page two. 
<laughs> but it's still recapping everything that happened in the first 18 issues right there of mm-hmm. the Green, Green Lantern series, along with mos- uh, the Mosaic and every, you know, all. But but it's still, but yeah, it's basically the entire first three years of every since of everything that happened to Green Lanterns since they rebooted Volume Three. And wow. Now at least you understand why Hal could possibly fight while he's thinking about all this shit. Because <laughs> he's really not fighting. He's like, but my God, who could really... It's kind of hard to think this was a smart move from a creative decision point of view. It's so... It takes you away from anything. You know? Mm-hmm. If, you care, if you cared at all about what was actually happening on the pa- on the panels, on the pages, it just kills it. Because you have like... Even on page three, you have like three three panels in a row that have like a gazillion reference points. Then you skip a panel and you have another th- like two two different uh, asterisks. It's like, oh my god! Do you want to give the creative team for the bookends? Yeah, the creative team: Gerard Jones was the writer, Romeo Tangalo, penciler, inker, Albert de Guzman, letterer, Anthony Tallon, colorist, Eddie Berganza, our old friend, assistant editor, and Kevin Dooley is the editor. And this was from spring of 1992. Kevin Douchebag Dooley. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. yeah. Not, I've, not... I've, I've heard that elsewhere uh, from a certain creator off mic, so I won't say who. But evidently, Kevin Dooley was known around the offices as uh, as some – he had some horrible nickname. I can't remember if the you know asterisk certain creator – told me it was douchebag or it was something to that effect uh something kevin something Dooley, and it wasn't very flattering <laughs> we won't be getting him on the show anytime soon <laughs> I, i'm not i'm not the one saying it i'm just repeating i'm just repeating <laughs> i'm not the one who started the rumor i'm just spreading it all over the airwaves <laughs> I I am I am merely passing on what was told to me by another creator. <laughs> In confidence? No, I'm only kidding. No, yeah, I'm only kidding. It's like, well, like at least you at least you didn't at least you didn't name drop. <laughs> That's right. Oh god. All right. So the first story. The first story is precious, <laughs> my precious, which is interesting because because Ron Mars is the writer, <laughs> and Terry Austin is the inker. So we are kind of like creeping closer to the. Emerald Twilight Kyle creative team, uh, and I hate the font in this in this issue too. A lot of it was that Kirk, uh, Jar- what's what's the last Jarvanin. name? Jarvanin. Jarvanin. Uh, Steve Matson, the colorist, and Bob Panara is the letter. Uh, so basically, we have we see this 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 really weird looking door. It does have kind of like this magical vibe to it because it's got it's got uh, like a like a pentacle or a pentagram on it, along with the Green Lantern symbol. Got some skulls on it. It's got some. And this character, who uh, his name, we will know, he will introduce himself like halfway through the story as Prentice. He he comes across this door, and he and he acknowledges that this is kind of different, but it's a door. So, uh, you know, if, if it's a door, that mean pretty means pretty much means it can be opened, and it also means that there's something interesting on the other side, something he's not supposed to see. So he uses magic. Pretty much yellow magic to open, you know, to open the door, find a staircase with lit with with candles, and he makes his way down into basically like a library, and you see a lot of creepy shit in here. But you basically see like a, but the the, the centerpiece literally of the panel and of the room is a Green Lantern uh, power battery. 
and you also see a cloak in the background and everything else. But basically, Apprentice uh, has stumbled upon these power battery. As we will find out, it's Torquemada. This is a Torquemada story. But he's he sees the, the power battery, and he goes to he basically goes to claim it. When he does, pretty much uh, Chad's favorite part of the book. <laughs> This incredibly hot-looking chick in lingerie basically pulls a gun on him, who does look look pretty much... She, now, let's be honest, she does look like Mary Jane, doesn't she? Kinda, yeah. With slightly bigger boobs, I think, but she looks... She's drawn pretty much exactly like Mary Jane Watson. And so she pulls a gun on him, pretty much telling him, you know, don't, don't touch the battery. I don't know what you're thinking, but, you know, turn around slowly. It's like, you really shouldn't be in here. You're kind of interrupting you know a good night's sleep yada yada and you know he does his best to try to put her at ease which is kind of funny because he just literally broke and entered into this place wherever it is and he goes i'm sorry i'm just a you know i'm just a weary traveler looking for a place to rest you know sorry i intruded and all this stuff and uh <sighs> at the end of the day you know she, pretty much she she just you know she disappears anything for a moment basically to i think Put on something more appropriate, for the most part. And of course, at this point, he's uh, Prentice is kind of looking around because he sees the power battery, but he kind of he's kind of looking around for the ring that goes with it. It's like a, you know, you know where where basically would the ring be hiding in this place? And he's kind of looking around. He's getting closer, you know, to the Torquemada's cloak. And at this point, uh, the the girl whose name is Giselle, she basically shows up. Not looking quite as good in in, in her in her normal garb, but basically, Prince, you know, Prentice pretty much puts a casts a spell over her, trying to you know trying to uh, figure out exactly what's going on here and you know where they are and what's you know what the what the what the lantern really is, even though I think he might have an idea what it is to start with, and she he casts a spell on her and, and she goes, oh sure, I guess I can tell you, it's a it's a it's really the lantern's really a power battery and it's not mine though, it belongs to my mentor Torquemada, he's a sorcerer, I'm his apprentice, yada yada, uh, you know so he you know he casts you know he continues his working his spell on her and he moves you know he kind of moves closer to her, looks like he's gonna kiss her or whatever, and at that point. You know, the cloak that was kind of like in the background, we essentially see the eyes light up in the in the cloak, and we realize Torquemada, even if he was either there the entire time or he has just kind of like reappeared and he's shown up in his cloak, and pretty much you know he he yells at Prentice, you know, put to put the battery down, and you know Torquemada looks pretty cool there, uh, but it's with his fingerless gloves, and uh, he almost has a Drax the Destroyer kind of look to him there. But don't you Almost. think a little bit? Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously the color scheme—the color scheme is off because he's kind of like a pale white with 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 black. But he just kind of has that 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 was kind of what struck me when I when I was you know reading this issue. So it turned so you know, he confronts Prentice. Prentice pretty much reveals kind of like I don't know if this is supposed to mean much to us, but it means something obviously to Torquemada that he is a member of the Yellow Circle, which I guess so we he's you know they're arch enemies. Uh, he. Prentice creates like the staff or whatever out of yellow energy and stabs uh, Torquemada with it. Torquemada, you know, fights back with his ring, of course, which has almost only limited effectiveness because of the fact that you know he's obviously he's using yellow. Uh, Prentice is using yellow against him, but Torquemada, you know, kind of proves that he's got some skills up his sleeve too because he's able to create like a 
a, kind of like a Venus flytrap kind of construct, which you know is able to r- rip a gash right into Prentice's face. Uh, you know, they, basically, they have some a, a duel of magic also, and between uh, casting spells, Torque Modest seem, seemingly is not quite as up to you know to Prentice's level. Because Prentice's, this is where the dinosaur comes into effect. He kind of creates a dinosaur which eats the knight, like almost like the samurai-looking knight that uh, Torquemada creates. So it's then they, then Torquemada switches into uh, fisticuff mode to try to you know to try to prove that you know even without the, even without my ring or even without the magic you know I still got I still have stuff to be able to take you down. Prentice pretty much pulls. Pulls the female or the female in distress card, if you will, on Torquemada. He kind of like he grabs Giselle, basically creates a, a a yellow knife, puts a yellow knife to her throat, and pretty much said, "Give me the power ring, or I'm going to kill her." Torquemada gives up the power ring. On the surface, it seems like he's giving it up way too easy, but we kind of find out why. He keeps trying to plead with Prentice. You kind of don't know what you're doing. That you you know, let her go. Don't make her don't make her do this. He's pleading to Giselle. You know you don't you know there has to be another way, Giselle. And she's like, no, you know there really isn't. You know this this is the only way it can be done. And at the end of the day, you know she leans in and she leans in and, and kisses Prentice because of course Prentice was going against his word. He wasn't going to release her anyway. Despite the fact that he had the power ring, but she kind of leans in, she kisses him. As soon as she kisses him, he starts turning to gold because apparently Giselle had been cursed with an uncontrollable and unbreakable spell that you know her lips carry a gold kiss. You know whatever touches them turns to gold rapidly. And <laughs> one of the cute parts of the story, your know, Torquemada kind of mentions that you know we've been trying to find a, w- a way to reverse it without any luck, but in your case, I don't think we'll be trying very hard. <laughs> So Torquemada gets his ring back. He gets his power battery back. She's all upset. It's like, oh, I didn't mean for it to happen again. You know, she's really upset, and she's hugging Torquemada at the end. And then, of course, we see pretty much a whole a whole trophy room of people that have been turned to gold. So obviously, at least her lips are, are pretty easy. <laughs> so there's there's a whole bunch. There's aliens. There's you know there's another another scantily clad girl there so obviously i want to see that story yeah that that that's the that's the story we that's the story we should have gotten <laughs> why did i know you were gonna <laughs> i know i gave i gave you the i gave you the opening so it's my fault uh, or, or if not the king kong looking foot thing in the corner <laughs> you got this giant foot so you can only imagine how big this thing was and it's like so obviously loose lips sink sink ships and especially hers and that kind of that kind of ends the the Torquemada story. Where did Torquemada go from here? Like he just he, uh, last I think the last thing I remember he was tracking down the anti monitors or, or the anti monitors husk or energy or something right before Blackest Night. Was that what uh, happened? Was that what happened to him? Was that he was one of the two? Was he one of the two that did that? I think he was. Because didn't they? Because didn't they when they? The only reason I'm 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 doubting that was it's ironic because I was thinking of Torquemada. I was thinking of these things when I read the story, back when they were doing the, the omens or whatever the hell it was in the back of those issues, saying what was going to come next supposedly down the road. Wasn't Torquemada one of the guys they showed along with Alan Scott supposedly being punished for using magic by the Guardians? Yes. So that means uh, Torquemada probably wasn't the one that got killed hunting down. I'm trying to remember the two. I'm trying to remember the. 
There was the one that spoke to the dead. Obviously, he's the one, he he definitely got killed hunting hunting the anti monitor. Right. Uh. But I wasn't. I didn't think Torque. I you could be right, but either but I do remember that panel they showed. You know, Alan Scott and but Torque Mata being punished by the Guardians, essentially for I guess we were supposed to assume. Excuse me, from use for using magic. Hmm. But, but we can we could track that down. I'm looking at it right now. Here we go. Ash and Sar and Sarek. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sarek the Vulcan, right? Theoretically, pretty much, or mo- modeled after the Vulcan, why they gave him the name of Sarek. But it's it's funny. It's funny though. Um, that you mentioned that because I'm looking in Agent Orange, uh, where those two lanterns team up, and uh, Agent Orange issue four, uh, or issue four of that storyline. So that's going to be. Uh, Green Lantern number 42 of the Jeff Johns era. Uh, I am looking on the page just just for anybody who's who's uh, who's curious and maybe has these issues at hand or a, a trade or something. On the page um, uh, right after the Guardians make an arrangement and like you know they you know the Guardians ask Larflees what he wants and it turns out that. The thing that the you know he whispers to them is the location of the Blue Lantern homeworld, and you know they they send Larflees after the Blue Lanterns. Remember that? Right. There's a there's a page like a little panel with a group of lanterns, and it says, "I must protest giving this felon anything. He is responsible for the death of a Green Lantern, Greddy of this very sector." The person saying that is Torquemada. That's interesting. Yeah, because it's it's. He's he's wearing a green cloak with his hood pulled over his head. He's got white skin, black spots on his head. The his green lantern symbol is a clasp around his cloak and he's wearing fingerless gloves. It is absolutely Torquemada. So <laughs> we've seen Torquemada <laughs> during the storyline. He's just not the lanterns we were thinking of. Yeah, like I said, the um, the thing that the thing that stood out to me why it probably wasn't him was because Sarek and Ash. Yeah, Sarek yeah. and Ash. They were the two that were sent off, and they and they got and they made their way to riot or whatever, and and found the sent to Black Power Battery before they got killed. Uh, moments before they got killed. So, yeah. So, so. maybe Torquemada's still around, unless he died during Blackest Night. Theoretically, Torquemada could still be. I, you know, it's it's funny. So. For those of you listening, Mark and I appeared on the Secret Origins podcast, which you heard us mention last episode. Uh, Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast, which is now out. That was uh, episode 22? Something like that. Do you remember? I wanted to say 23, but it could be wrong. 23? So Mark and I appeared on episode 23 of uh, of the Secret Origins podcast with Ryan Daly. We were talking about issue 23 of the secret origin series um and that was the secret origin of the guardians of the universe and the floronic man and we were talking about all that because you know obviously we're the green lantern experts (laughs) 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 no and uh and also because uh you know in the history when you talk about the history of the of the guardians you talk about the history of the green lantern corps and of course one of those panels Shows the Guardians, ex, you know, gathering and expelling all magic out of their midst, which, you know, creates the Starheart and Alan Scott and stuff like that. That's why I think it's really interesting that they have a sorcerer <laughs> in their Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> like, what did that entail? What, did, what, what kind of lesson did the Guardians learn 
or what kind of power? Okay, so so twofold. What lesson did the Guardians learn that made them think that not all magic was bad? Or the flip side of this, just thinking, you know, about those devious little Guardians. What? How much power does Torquemada have that the Guardians didn't mind having him on their side? That is true too. I just thought it was interesting, especially given how much time we've just spent with Ryan going over you know, the history of the Guardians and them expelling magic and, you know, obviously the Manhunters and all that other stuff with Millennium and all that. But, you know, part of that was magic. So since that was fresh in my brain, I thought it was kind of odd that <laughs> Torquemada is chosen to be a Green Lantern and he's a freaking sorcerer. <clears throat> a sorcerer supreme, if you will. Yeah, he was an eye on number one. Torquemada. Oh. Hmm. But that was before Blackest Night. Yeah, that is true. I know. I'm. I, I just. Am, I'm just looking at different links to try to find something that definitively makes it clear that, that he's, he's alive or dead. Yeah, that, that he's that he's still around. Uh, but but there, are, I haven't found anything that gives much of um anything that makes it crystal clear. Why do you think they chose to? I mean, other than the obvious reason, why do you think they they chose to put Giselle in such an incredibly scanty outfit or is it just well because well, one, one of the things you know i've been trying to cover the main points of the story one of the things i didn't delve into is obviously kind of like it was kind of ironic because they made that joke maybe maybe it wasn't maybe it was there was a maybe i was a, i was on to something when i kind of made that rogue reference on the cover about how prentice looked like a male rogue but the, you know with the with the magneto white you know kind of like the white stripe you know in, in the hair uh, that obviously she has issues with being close to people or having because she physically can't be close to people the way you would you would like to be ideally. I mean, the people you care about are people you're attracted to because she can't kiss anybody because she turns them to stone, just like Rogue can't touch people and, and can't have that kind of physical contact. So she's longing for that. So I don't know. So maybe it's kind of like a it, it's kind of I don't know. It's maybe she's overcompensating maybe because of the fact that she you know. She that, can't touch anybody, so maybe she dresses scantily to yeah, you know, get, and, get and, what attention she can. And because and because I think Torquemada, besides trying to help her try to find a way to lift the curse, I think he's trying to help her deal, kind of being like a Professor X to her rogue, trying to help her deal with this problem. And obviously she's failed more many times because of all the people that she's already turned mm-hmm. to. Uh, so who knows, maybe you know, she maybe be maybe she puts out this vibe you know and because and she's obviously she's drawn incredibly attractive looking in that in her first appearance in the book that maybe she put you know there's this vibe that she sends out that draws people in and then almost like a siren you know kind of like pulling pulling people in and then you know in a way she can't control herself either you know she has she has she gets drawn in to try to you know trying to kind of like again following a theme like the way Black Hand keeps t- kept touching everything, turning it to stone, even though he ca- logically you would know what was going to happen, but you're just kind of desperate that this time is going to be different. So I think that that, that could have been it. Other, I mean, obviously, other than, you know, a, a no pun intended, a titillation point of view, there's kind of no, there wasn't any logical reason, If I, I don't think, if other than that, than just to kind of show which, but it. But along with the fact that she makes it clear it is night, you know, so she, even though that's kind of a, a risque thing to be sleeping in that it could be something like that too that you, you combine the fact that it is in the middle of the night and maybe and 
maybe some of the issues, like I said, that she's dealing with, they kind of manifested themselves. Right. That's just for me. I don't know. Did you have it? Any? You, did you have a different no, take? No, I'm just curious. Just thought it was it was it was sort of an 800 pound elephant in the room. So, you know, I just figured we'd mention it anyways. I mean, other than yeah, we could have gone a whole yuck yuck giddy giddy route with it. But I mean, you know, that's a drawing of a hot chick. You know, scantily clad, big tits. You know, it's not like it's 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 not anything. Honestly. The only reason I, f- I find this, like, a little over the top is just the era in which it's drawn. You know, the 80s, 90s era. But I guess that's not really that big of a deal because in the 90s, every- everything was drawn so extreme, including the women. So it's not that big of a surprise, I guess. No, <sighs> absolutely. Alan Scott Grundy? Alan Scott Grundy. Grudge match. Uh, Roger Stern is the writer. Uh, Jim Ballant is the penciler. Andrew Pepoy is the inker. Bob Pinaha, Pineha is the letterer. Matt, we- Matt Webb is the colorist. And a nice little shout-out right here. The Green Lantern created by Bill Finger and Martin O'Dell. Reverse that. <clears throat> <laughs> so, so Grundy knocks the ever-living shit out of Green Lantern. Uh, straight through the wall and out into the uh, into the open. But chicken uh, soup cans, no less. Yeah. He beat the chicken soup out of them. And then, uh, and then you know, they're fighting. Obviously, Grundy is sort of immune to the powers of Green Lantern. Um, you know, he can, like, push his hands through the shields that, that Alan makes and stuff because Grundy is part wood. You know, just if you think about it, you know, Grundy was – you know, kind of formed out of supernatural stuff and, you know, swamp matter. So there's, he's partially composed, mostly composed of, of plant life, you know, wood and stuff. And that's Alan's weakness, uh, the, 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 the weakness of his ring. Plus Grundy is supernatural as well. So, you know, weakness plus the same sort of power that you have, of course, he's going to be, you know, a formidable foe. Uh, so Grundy kind of grabs, um, Alan in a bear hug, suffocates him. Alan passes out. Um, he Grundy tosses him on the ground and goes off. Alan's ring kind of communes with his mind um, and uh, you know tells him you can't give up and kind of refreshes his history with Grundy uh, and then sort of Grundy's history, you know how he you know nearly took out Alan, but Alan rose to the occasion and then and imprisoned him. And after a while, Grundy came back and took on the JSA, you know, nearly killed Dr. Fate and our man. And then... Oh, God, the Floronic man. He, he took on your daughter, Jade, and, you know... Uh, uh, and he, But he saved her life when it was jeopardized by the Floronic man. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, and... Uh, you know how he uh, uh, he killed Skyman, and I, if I remember, Skyman is the name of the Star Spangled Kid. Uh, like the name he took on because he didn't want to be the Star Spangled Kid anymore. Like he's he became Skyman. Um, so that so Grundy killed him. Uh, and speaking of you know editor notes, there's there's a lot of editor notes throughout here throughout yep. this one how. You know, uh, speaking of uh, um, Grundy's first scenes, All American Comics uh, 61, the stuff with Doctor Fate and Hourman in Showcase number 55, 
the stuff against uh, Jade and Floronic Man in Infinity Inc. number 46. Uh, Grundy versus Skyman in Infinity 53 and stuff like that. Um, Jade in the past tried to reason with Grundy. That failed. Alan had to step in and get involved. There's a whole... The ring's sort of recapping the history, and at, towards the end, he's like, wait a sec, I was never there. How do I know what was happening with Jade and Grundy? Because I wasn't there. And it's just, it's, it's, I don't know, Mark, is it clear to you this is the Starheart? Because the Starheart's like, I've got a connection to Jade and you. And what she knows and you know, I know. You know, it's, it's, she's an extension of your power and stuff like that. That's that's basically what, yeah. what it is. It's got, it doesn't say it, but it's essentially the star heart. Yeah, because you know that's the connection between their powers and them in general. Right. So yeah, I, I, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I think. Mm-hmm. So Alan comes to Jade comes out of the house and everybody's you know she gives a hug. Everybody's okay. Alan's like you know we got to take out Alan. I mean we got to Alan's like we got to take out uh, Grundy. Jade's like I don't know maybe I can talk to him. They go off and fight Grundy together. Jade momentarily tries to reason with him, fails immediately. They both take on Grundy, and they uh, Alan says, "You know, you, you know what we have to do." Uh, and Jade does it, but it, you can clearly see anguish in her eyes. She doesn't want to, but she knows it needs to be done. They both combine their power and shoot it at Grundy, and and encase him in this bubble. And what it does, they're they are uh, heating up and removing the oxygen within the bubble. And, you know, kind of call back to what I said earlier, because Grundy is mostly made of swamp material, what this does is it basically turns Grundy into petrified wood. And that's how they defeat Grundy. Uh, it's a big strain for Alan in particular, because all this is from Alan's point of view. Uh, and he says, you know... Uh, what does he say here? Um, once long ago, I spent 20 hours holding floodwaters back while a town was evacuated. The strain of that night is the only thing that's even ever come close to this. So that night was less stressful than what he's doing right now with Jade against Grundy. Grundy's petrified wood. That's how they take care of him and him and Jade you know, go off, uh, in, into the, into the night, into the day to, to face other issues. Off to Applebee's. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this one? I like the art for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting. Did you mention, you mentioned Roger Stern? You did mm-hmm. the creative team? Yeah. I was, I thought it was cool that Roger Stern was the, you know, was the writer. Uh, I, I liked it. I mean, I can't, I think, if they did a kind of it was a clever way of kind of wanting to do you know the rehash if you will of the or, of not just the origin of Grundy but his relationship with Alan and Jade that at least they did it <laughs> let's put it this way they did it in a slightly more creative fashion than than the recap of Green Lantern one through thirty six that we got in the prologue <laughs> <laughs> with a lot less uh, asterisks and editor's notes there were some but at least they were kind of they were they were a little more contained and appropriate I think. Uh, especially c- considering, you know, Alan Scott's history, that it would make sense you might want to bring it up to date a little bit more, and and people would not have those na- natural reference points, since so many of those stories took place so long ago, especially like the 1944 one from like All American Comics and everything. I liked it. Right. I thought I, th- I, th- I thought it, it was good. I thought I liked the fact that they 
they use Grundy because that's always a good foil, obviously, for Allen. Based on their history and kind of from an arch-villain point of view, I thought that was pretty good. I'm not sure if I... I don't know if I... I'm trying to remember, remembering the other three stories that we've gotten so far in the quarterlies. I'm not sure if this was the best of the group, but... It's definitely my favorite so far. The last one was Doiby, right? Was yeah. The last one, yeah, that definitely was not my favorite. <laughs> I kind of like the I kind of like the Allen one, but the uh, I kind of like the one with Hector Hammond a little bit, even though it was kind of weird the way they kind of wrapped it up. But but yeah, this was I don't know this you yeah this 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 is near the top. I like I said, I'm not 100 percent sure it's my absolute favorite yet, but it's but it's Certainly better than the Doiby story. Yeah, and this one, this one, um, it's kind of interesting for fans of the uh, Greenland or not the Green Lantern, the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited animated series. Jade's relationship with Grundy kind of reminds me of Hawkgirls. Remember that? Vaguely, because I didn't, I didn't watch that religiously when it when it was first on. Yeah, for those of you who watched that show, that's what it was basically. That's what it reminds me of. Jay, uh, Hawk Girl was extremely sympathetic of Grundy and kind of built a sort of relationship with him uh, before he was resurrected by some stupid kids fooling around with magic and um, was kind of like a brainless monster. Um, and uh, she had to put him down. Um, there's a one of my favorite lines in all of the Justice League uh uh, anime, uh, all of the Justice League and, and Justice League Unlimited animated series comes from Aquaman during that episode. Like, uh, there's a point um, where uh, they are in the Tower of Fate, uh, Aquaman and and uh, oh, who else? Aqu- it's uh, Aquaman and uh, uh, Amazo, I think, are playing chess or something, and then. Uh, Dr. Fate pops in and tells them that Grundy's out of, you know, Grundy's grave has been, grave has been desecrated or something like that. Actually, you know what, I'll just play the audio. That's good. Solomon Grundy's grave is empty. Tell me where to find those responsible, then dig more graves. We are dealing with something far more sinister than mere human average. Uh, but yeah, that's my, that's one of my favorite lines from that, from that animated series. Uh, anything else about Alan in this one, the Alan Scott story? But did you, how did you think about the, what did you think I should say about the way Jade looked? You like the way she looks in this? Uh, in in most panels, yes. Uh, not in all of them though. There, she looks okay though. I mean, this is not my favorite costume for Jade. No. Um, but uh, you know, it's close enough to my favorite costume of her, and you know, I'm really cognizant of. I mean, they reference Infinity Inc. so much in this that I'm just like, eh, it's, you know, it's def- it's it's definitely visually Jade. You know what I mean? Yes. Especially from Infinity Inc. era. Okay. Cool. All right. Nort? Oh, Nort. All right. So we open at a uh, reunion for uh, Nort and his crew. Um, this is called Revenge of the Nerd with a G. <laughs> Um, and Nort is essentially grandstanding. Uh, he's telling all of the people at his 10-year, uh, or his 70-year reunion, that's 10 and people years. <laughs> uh, the obedience, obedience story, yes. Reunion, 
Um, so basically, he opens uh, opens up with him recapping the events of the uh, Eclipso storyline uh, in DC Comics. Um, there, oddly enough, there's no there's no uh, mention of that here. But of course, they did the mentioning of that uh, earlier in the. Uh, in the uh, in the issue with uh, how how mentioning how he became Eclipso or took on the power of Eclipso, yep. um, so Nord is twisting this so that he is the one that deals the final blow to Eclipso to take him out. You know, even Superman couldn't do it, but I could. So Nord obviously, come, you know, the fate of the fate of the universe rested in the paws of one hero, and you know, Nord comes flying in and he's actually singing, so he's flying in and he's singing and he's like wait a second hold on no wait a minute that song's about a cartoon mouse i need something more dignified than that. <laughs> god help us like and then he gives us Watch me knock down your door. Watch me knock down your door. I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. Now my ringy ding will make you sting. Eclipse, so you through. <laughs> and uh, after all that, of course, <laughs> Eclipse was like, said something that no, no one's ever said. Nort, no. Mighty, hey, almighty Nort. <laughs> curse you, almighty Nort. <laughs> And of course, he's showing off, and everybody's like, sw- all the girls are swooning. And then one of his former bullies is like, ah, I thought he'd always amount to nothing. And, you know, kind of recaps how he used to lock him and this other guy uh, um, in the freezer, uh, Philo Fleas. Um, turns out this guy is sitting on him, and he's a laughing stock. And Nort and Sax Girl are dancing because he brought her to the reunion. And then they all do the favorite, their class's favorite dance, roll over and play dead. Um, <laughs> so they're they're dancing, and then uh, Nort rolls over too much and knocks um, Fleas down onto him, or Philo down onto him. And then their old bully grabs them both and is like, oh, we'll get you guys cleaned up. And then says we're going to the bathroom and then locks them in the freezer again, just like old times. And uh, Philo's like, you know, you know what? I'm done with all this. I'm, it's the ultimate power extract. It's filled with vitamins and nutrients, uh, beads off Lassie's nose, plus I added a little lemon juice for a kick. It's supposed to make me an unstoppable powerhouse. And one of his fleas falls inside of it. He's like, hey, flea friend, don't jump in there. Oh, Wally, you're dead, and it's Norman's fault. There's no more Mr. Nice Nerd. And that's when, like, he drinks this whole thing and... Him and his fleas become super powerful. God, this is ridiculous. One to recap. He's no, he's Philo fleas no more. He's just fleas, protector of the pitiful, guardian of all geeks. Which is funny because I didn't ask for one. And <laughs> they, 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 he says, uh, you know, you think that you're gonna, him and Nora are gonna fight, but then he's like, you know, you know, aren't you getting a little carried away? He's like, don't you want to destroy your our enemies? And he's like, if you aren't with me, you're against me. And he punches him out the door. And then Philo takes on uh, his his you know old tormentor Norman and sends his fleas after all his super fleas after <laughs> all of his uh, his classmates and um, you know Nort tries to take care of it but he can't because 
Philo uh, fleas is now yellow powered and stuff. Gives everyone fleas, and then Sax Girl comes to save the day. She's carrying flea powder, and Nort lifts it up over the crowd and wafts it down on everybody. And then uh, he grabs Norman's girlfriend or wife and uh, Nort, and uh, you know he's like, before you t- you know hurt them. Uh, Norman goes, I gotta get something off my chest, and he takes off this like wrap, and his gut comes popping out. He takes off his hair piece, and he puts on his glasses. Says, uh, some big jock, uh, not anymore. I only went out for sports in the first place because my old man made me. Truth is, I really wanted to be in the chess club, Philo, just like you. I guess that's why I always picked on you. I was jealous of your chess skills. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go off and become friends together, and Nort and uh, Sax Girl continue to dance the night away. The end. Oh, oh and the, uh, the creative team for this one uh, is uh, Michael Erie is the writer joe james is the penciler barb caliberg calberg is the inker uh albert de guzman letter and anthony tollin is the colorist what did you think the more interest the most interesting aspects of the story are just something like the the uh like the easter eggs thrown in things you gotta things you gotta look for i mean the, yeah the, the cujo memorial obedience school uh, no marking in unauthorized areas. Uh, I, I, I like the the band Three Night Dogs instead of Three Dog Night. I thought that that's was, true. That that was and they're playing Elvis who ain't nothing but a hound dog. That one's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. I you couldn't help. I mean, I couldn't help anyway. Notice kind of like you know the the double entendre, if you will, with Sax Girl with ca- carrying her flea powder with a, here, Nort, I always carry protection. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like... They confiscated her sax before they uh, before they uh, entered the dance. Which is interesting that she's back, because we kind of noticed that, you know, she wasn't around the last time. So Yeah. Philo, I mean, the actual the actual art on that on when they when Philo becomes super powered really isn't so bad. <laughs> you know that you know what that reminds me of. That reminds me of um, towards the end of the Green Lantern Kyle Rayner run, when it was like Dark Kilowog or something. You oh, remember that? The, yeah, the was it the Dark Lantern, right? Is that what yeah, it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah, like right. That. It is that negative, that kind of like the the negative, kind of like drawn in a negative fashion. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of. Or like Zax from uh, the Hulk. Kind of has that same kind of kind of coloring, but yeah, it was. I would be lying if I said this was my favorite Nort story that we've done so far. And I, I gotta, I, you know, guys, we gotta give credit to you, a little listener. Every time we've ever heard back from you guys, uh, feedback-wise on these uh, these quarterly quarterly episodes, everybody's like, we're too hard on the. I know the, the, the Nort storylines because it's they're just fun storylines, and we get it, guys. But I just like. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like them in this. Like, I feel like, although, then again, I don't know where else we would we, would be good to get them. It's not like we can put all the Nord stories in their own little anthology. I mean, this an anthology series is the best place to tell these if you're going to tell them. I don't know. I just I just would hope or would want that these uh, these stories to be differently placed. Like, have Tor Kamada and Alan and the story that Mark's about to do in the beginning 
and then have the letters page and then have Nort as like a backup within it. Like, I don't feel it. It throws me off when we read it. Like, you know, we're reading these stories of these lanterns and past lanterns and future lanterns and lanterns that could have been but never were. And then we get this this utter change in tone. Now, yes, these other stories have different art and different pacing and slightly different tone, but at least it's sort of kind of all of a piece. And then you get Nort, which just kind of throws everything off for a minute. And that's that's fine. That's good. You know, if we're going to tell these stories, obviously this is the place to have them. But at the same time, it's just like, ugh. you know, like can't 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 we put this at the end or something so that it's not like, you know, uh, you know, really throwing us off off base here. No, I know. I do agree. From a it, from a pacing point of view, it does kind of seem different. But again, based on the character Nort is and the stories that they have, the tone that they have decided to give to Nort, that I guess, like you also mentioned, it's kind of hard to figure out where they would put it, that way, where it's not going to stand out like a sore thumb. Yeah. But you also have to give credit where credit's due. They certainly all the Nort stories are they certainly are creative. You have to. There's no doubt about that. They are. They they're a different tone, and but they certainly are. They are creative. It's like I said, especially this this one does have a lot of cute little. Even even with the the theme song references, not just a Mighty Mouse, but to, of all places, Three's Company. Oh, uh, all that's. I think so. You, it is a very. It's it's good to see that they had fun with it. So I so I definitely can appreciate that. Hmm. Now I was just I was wondering. Uh, do you think this is almost like if Archie was in the Green Lantern? You knew, it's almost like an Archie strip, right? Yeah, I think. Yes, yeah, I think that's. I think that works, especially, especially when. Uh, now that you say that, when you get to, when you get to that panel when uh, you know Philo is going, I am yellow, and he, and he unleashes himself, and you have uh, and you see the close-ups of all the all the characters, including Nord, all scratching with the fleas. That one really struck me as a as a as a Archie like vibe right before Saxgore whips out the flea powder huh. yeah so I think that I, I I think that especially maybe also setting it at, at a class reunion kind of setting I think that makes it easier to you know put the two and two together too yeah almost like this is like a, a moose jughead story or something like yeah. yeah like Norman is moose and Nord is jughead or something like that <clears throat> Nord is definitely a jughead <laughs> All right. Do you want to tell the best choice story and then wrap up with the uh, absolutely? The yeah, absolutely. Uh, this story is pretty self-contained. It's pretty self-explanatory, actually. It's, it's like Chad mentioned, is called the best choice. Uh, two writers on this one: uh, Joe Epkin and Jeff Hedzel. Mac Myers does the pencils. Al Gordon and Barb Kalberg inks, and Dan Necrosis. Dan the letterer and Anthony Tollin does the color on this too. Now, now we now you assume this is just Earth, right? Not or not a different yes. variation on Earth because they certainly they they open it up to interpretation right off the bat just by saying a small school in a small town on a small world. But everything you read in the story indicates that it's our Earth. So you have so you have Donna who is a school teacher uh, who's in Nebraska, and pretty much we find out that you know her. Her husband died in, Korea, in the Korean War, so she's a widow. Uh, the, 
her print you know the principal at the school pretty much has eyes for her and he's trying to you know woo her woo her but she she at the moment is pretty much just dedicated you know dedicated to her kids at the same time she's mourning her mourning her husband uh she goes out she goes to take her kids ice skating and while uh you know while, while her you know her daughter Chrissy is ice skating the ice starts to crack underneath her and she falls through and uh pretty Donna she's a very quick thinker overall about you know trying to figure out how how to go how to rescue her daughter you know whatever her you know her son's like you know I can go in and I can go you know I can go get her mom you know dad you know dad you know made me take swimming lessons and she goes, she's like automatically like no absolutely not you know if anybody's going to go in and risk their life it's going to be me I'm not going to risk basically both of you both of you drowning in there so she tells him to go get rope off the sled because you got you know because the other two kids the other two the other two people are going to basically hold Donna while she goes after her, her daughter now we also see kind of stalking in the woods <laughs> we kind of see the all familiar uh shape of a the head of a guardian of a, a, the universe a guardian of the universe watching all this develop and you know and we get like a little thought bubble thought bubble from him going this is all going as planned the earth woman has shown both courage and wisdom she may be the one we seek uh Don, so you know so you know donna go you know donna break goes to the ice she's you know she has the rope tied around her waist she she goes to the into the ice to go get her daughter. As she's getting closer to the daughter, she sees a, a green lantern ring in the water, and you know she kind of notes that you know I have to con I should be concentrating on getting my daughter, but you know I'm compelled to go after this ring. You know and she puts it on her finger, and you know she gets you know she's endowed all of a sudden with the power you know of the, of the green of the green lantern ring. She grabs you know she grabs her daughter. You know, she just she kind of thinks about you know this would be so much easier basically if we could just you know if I could just break a hole in the ice and of course when she thinks it, you know her willpower makes it so and she breaks breaks to the ice. The interesting thing about this is you know while they're while Chrissy and her mother are on the ice and the and the other but the other kids come running over to her, that they notice that both both Donna and the daughter are now come or dry. So not only did they somehow, so the ring not only saved them, but pretty much prevented them from basically get, being wet and get and potentially catching pneumonia about this from this situation. Uh, at this time, the guardian of the universe basically appears to Donna and says, "You know, Mrs. Parker, you know, you, you have no need or to fear us. Your children, you know, your children unharmed." And he pretty, he, you know, the guardian pretty much says, "You know that." Uh, I basically set this whole thing up so you, you know, to test you, and you know, you're you're the one we you know, you have proven yourself worthy. You know, we are the explaining the background of the Guardians and the Green Lantern Corps, and how your planet is on the brink of nu of the nuclear age, and your species has thus far now proven themselves to be responsible with such power. You know, but we we kind of feel that a Green Lantern from basically Earth, you know, needs it's time for that, and and we think you're worthy of it. And you know she entertains the idea, but she but she thinks that she can make more of a difference, basically being a teacher, and that's so she basically opts to reject you know the Green Lantern ring, uh, and especially once the Guardian makes it clear that despite the power of the Green Lantern ring and, and the core, you know we cannot get 100% guarantee your safety. The, the Guardian says you know you know basically provisions will be made for to take care. Of, Take care of your kids for their shelter and education. If you died, 
But she goes, well, then what about love? And of course, it was just kind of funny. <laughs> Dealing with guardians and love, I'm thinking of that, uh, the pale bishop thing now, too, with the guardians. That obviously, since it's a guardian, you know, he has no, pretty much has no idea about, uh, the, the, not anymore anyway, the relevance of love and how that is needed to, you know, raise, raise a child properly. So that's kind of like the final straw that gets Donna to reject the ring. And then, of course, at this point, you know, uh, you know the guardian says, "When I release the stasis, this will this will never, they will never remember. You know this this happened. They will only know that you saved your daughter's life. However, you will always remember this. Basically, I hope you can live with the decision you made this day. Typical guardians. <laughs> like, in case you made a mis- in case you come to regret this, damn, you deserve it. <laughs> and that's pretty much the end of that story." Want to do the bookend real quick? Just one page. Yeah, I thought about it, but the bookend doesn't really has nothing to do with this. But I'll do the bookend real quick because it's literally yeah one page. So basically, we go back to uh, Hal with you know with Yumida or Yumida over here. Yumida, I said. Uh, so let's stick with Yumida. Uh, and he's like, those were positively spine tingling stories, Hal Jordan. No, they would be if I possessed a spine. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, you bastard. Um, so you know, yeah, Hal. You know how kind of points. You know, well, uh, you might have said, you know, but I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of confused. This Green Lantern named Torquemada is not among those you, 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 you know, you tell me are currently in the core. And how kind of points out, yeah, you know, I kind of wondered about that myself. You know, this book mentions Green Lanterns like, you know, like you know, Pathavim, Seth, Atarik, uh, who recruited Jack T. Chance and Breon and Ramuz and all these guys, and it's like. You know, and, and now Torquemada, and it's like I don't even know. You know, I don't know of any of these. Like, I don't know if they're past Green Lanterns. I don't know if they're future Green Lanterns or fictional ones, which is kind of stupid. I think that Hal would say that, unless the Guardians do do that for just inspiration. And at this point, we see you know, you know, Brick and Percival show up, uh, you know, with a whole bunch of other recruits, and we kind of see that a lot of the people that a lot of the people we have been reading about in the Green Lantern quarterlies are basically just being recruited now. I think we see Torquemada. He mentions, uh, you know, Breon and, and Pathavim are, you know, are, are mentioned, are mentioned. <laughs> I like, I like Hal's like, mm, I should warn Pathavim that he's setting himself up for a tragic end when he goes to Jack T's chance world. But I don't know. <laughs> All I know is that, you know, we're barely, you know, we've, is that supposed to be barely? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not right. It's not written correctly. That we're barely that we've barely tapped the surface of the stories to be told about the Green Lantern Corps. So the only thing good about that, the the, the book that part of the you know the end of the bookend is just the fact that it kind of makes a reference to something we kind of already know from Blackest Night and other things that you know the, essentially that the Book of Oa where new things might be added to it. That basically everything that has happened and will happen are also kind of already contained in the Book of Oa. Even though, you know, as someone's reading it, these events may not have happened yet, but they're going to. So that's kind of, I kind of like that little, uh, that tie-in. Plus Percival from Ganthet's Tale, which of course made sense since they referenced it among the 8,000 references in the beginning of the book. Right. So uh, what did you think of the, the lady story? I like that story. I like the it fact was... that theoretically she would have predated Hal. She would have pre- if she had gotten the ring, she would have predated so you think, Hal. So you think, you think Hal got the ring after the Korean War? Well, yeah, because in real time he got the, he got in in real hour in not comic book time, but real time it was the '60s, right? So that was after the Korean War. So he would have he would have gotten it. He would he would have gotten it in the '60s. 
Plus, they're talking about the nuclear, you know, the nuclear age, which I guess technically, though I'm trying to remember when, like, when Russia got the bomb and everything. I thought Russia had gotten the bomb by somewhere around the time of the Korean War. But either way, the point the point is that they were just the, the true, you know, the worst part of the Cold War certainly hadn't really we hadn't gotten to that yet. So yeah, I think I think it's if, again assuming this is our Earth that I think it is supposed to imply that if she had taken the ring, then she would have gotten the ring before before Hal Jordan. Yeah, I don't have much to say about it other than it just makes me hate the Guardians more. Yeah, I mean... It, 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 it's a little shit drowned a kid to make a point. Well, yeah, but in, it, but in a way, it does... It kind of does follow their their personality, their bigger picture goals in that, you know, breaking the... You know, make... To breaking the eggs to make a... To make the omelet kind of concept, and to me it also echoes what they what they were going to do in the original uh, Emerald Twilight when you know they were when Gerard Jones was going to reveal that the Guardians killed Hal's father on purpose, basically to help make him the Green Lantern that he was going to be and, and that who they needed him to be. So it's the same kind of thing. Is that they're not they're not they're not above creating you know creating tragedy in the and in people and in individuals' lives to kind of help them reach if, if you will their to untap you know their their greater potential. I like the art though. I like the fact that the art did certainly mm-hmm. seem for, the, for you know to kind of mirror the the time and the in the the era that the story is supposed to be taking place in. Even like the Green Lantern costume that they draw her on, draw draw her in like theoretically if she had chosen to become a member of the core. Because actually when she I didn't mention this, but when she used the ring, she's using the ring, but she doesn't get a uniform. She's, right. still, she's still in her in her normal uh, street clothes. So the only time we see her in a Green Lantern uniform is basically when Ga- Ganthet, Freudian slip, not Ganthet. Because uh, I don't think Ganthet would be that much of a dick. <laughs> that uh, when the Guardian is, you know, is kind of explaining the history of the Green Lantern Corps to her and what they're offering to her and what you know what her future could be, that's when you see her kind of wielding the ring in a tradition in a traditional Green Lantern costume, which looks very drawn in a similar way to like almost how Hal looked back in the day when he first got his ring. To, so, mm-hmm. But I did like the story. I thought, I, and I certainly don't think it's out of character for the Guardians, unfortunately. Um, a, long way, a long way from Harupa in the story that we just did on, <laughs> on Ryan's podcast. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have much else to say about it. I mean, it was okay. Uh, just when I was thumbing through it before I actually read it, I was like, oh, God, a housewife got a ring. Oh, that's going to suck. It's better than, than its premise. Yeah, but I it, think so. I think it is. Yeah. And I also like and I also like the fact that in its own way, uh, if you want to look if you want to look at it beyond, you know, the Guardians being being dicks to set up this, you know, this tragic event that in a way that this whole event also helps her able you know, she helps her with closure you know she does kind of get a little more closure with I think with her deceased husband and being able to you know refocus what's important in her life and what you know what what her purpose really is so to kind of like maybe move on a little bit more than she's been able to up to this point so I, I did kind of like that aspect of it so I may not have been a complete may not have been a complete you know I won't use the word I was going to use but it won't that it, maybe it was not a complete, you know, head game that, uh, for no real, you know, for no benefit to her that the Guardians played. So, 
Not bad overall, though. No, uh, I thought it was. I thought it was fairly, pretty good. Fairly solid issue. Yeah, there were some really good stories in it. Uh, there's a letters page, and uh, I mean, just kind of overall, you know, where's Jack T. Chance? North's North's uh, not too bad actually. Stuff like that. A lot of people liking the uh, spotlights on Alan. You want to read that uh, solicit? Just yeah, the, the solicit for the next issue of GLC Quarterly. <laughs> Yes, so the solicit for the next issue, and in three short months, Green Lantern Quarterly, Green Lantern Corps Quarterly, number five, features the Lone Lantern fighting for the continuation of his race. Okay, this, that should, could be interesting, doesn't sound original, but could be interesting. Norton, real danger, we could only hope. We find out if there is life for Alan Scott beyond the JSA, plus some more mysteries of the Corps are revealed. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Don't you believe it? All right, guys. We have one bit of feedback we're going to do real quick, and then we'll close out the episode. So uh, feedback. So that means play the jingle. <laughs> Twitter. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Twitter. Chicken Vindaloo is good to eat. My name is Scooter. I'll fix your computer. I'm a happening guy and a dope troubleshooter. When you call tech support, you'll be talking to me. I got more patience than Mahatma Gandhi. And emails. Uh, this is from Andy, or Andy, one of our great feedbackers. We appreciate everything, Andy. Uh, this, uh, first, he writes about the power of Ion. Like the, I like the whole of this run of GL, but Ion represents one thing I really dislike in superhero comics, the overpowered hero or villain. I think that stories work best where the central characters have to use their wits as well as their power in order to prevail. In that way, the only real resolution for Kyle was to voluntarily become less powerful, which I find unsatisfactory. It is for this reason that I am not a big fan of Superman, just too powerful. One of the big attractions for me of the whole of, of that series of Green Lantern, which I'm assuming he means the Kyle run, was the amount of space given to making all the characters three-dimensional, Kyle, Jade, even Radu. But even then, they struggled to give Jon Stewart more than two dimensions. Hey, what about that issue in Power of Ion? That is true. But yeah, with, the, with his, uh, sis, his yeah, with the, the sister, right? Yeah. In the, in the backseat rose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to ignore you saying anything bad about Power <laughs> Eat it, Andy. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I agree with him. I think it's interesting, though. Uh, you, you say you don't like uh, overpowered characters, but what do you think? And, and we're not going to get into it on this episode, but I'm just going to drop it and make you think. Um, what do you think of the idea that the Green Lanterns and all Lanterns have been relatively depowered in the New 52? Like, you can say you don't like all powerful kind of type characters, but what's the line? Do you like the fact that the Lantern Corps, all of them, have been relatively depowered? And if they are not as powerful as they should be, what's the line? Yep, that's a as, as you mentioned, as you hinted anyway. That's a topic we'll be getting back into shortly. Uh, not this episode, of course, but we we will be getting into it. I th I know what he means, and I think there is there is truth in it because if you're if you're if you're that powerful, then it's kind of hard to. It's also hard to come up with threats, you know. If you're if you have a, if you're if you're that cosmic level of a 
if your power is that on that cosmic level, then it's really diff- difficult to come up with real threats. So, well, maybe, but I mean, the whole the whole point of the power of Ion wasn't to make Kyle a godlike being and then have him be this godlike being for a while and try and see how that works. No, the whole point was to give him the power and then right. take it away. Uh, just see how Kyle, you know, reacts to having that power. And Kyle, and again, this I, I said it all in that episode, so I won't bother going into it again. But again, that's that's why I like that story so much. You know, Kyle is becomes a godlike being, does mostly completely benevolent things as a gut reaction, not as like. You know, imposing his will again, the Timorax thing and all that—that that, that yeah. could be taken that way. But <clears throat> does mostly benevolent things for his friends and people without even thinking, really thinking about it. Doing these things and protecting people because it comes naturally to him, and he can take care of it in the blink of an eye, like he does with the Justice League. You know, those invaders or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> so there's 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 that, and then you get the character piece of Kyle. You know, really thinking about it and. and thinking about all the things he can do and if he should do them, you know, the, the speech that Hal gives him as a specter, and then he willingly gives it up. The, the, I think the power of Ion wasn't necessarily about making an all-powerful being in the DC universe. It was more of it was more about characterizing Kyle than it was about you know, and those around him to a certain yes. extent. Uh, as, uh, rather than you know, amping up their Green Lantern character. Right, because it's certainly a lot, a lot of it was about Kyle discovering who he truly was. Right. And maybe what is true. And again, kind of like a theme in a way that kind of has been, that was echoed in, even in this quarterly about discovering who you really are. Like, uh, that, uh, and to make a, and not, it's not the same kind of analogy, obviously, because he didn't, wasn't a, like, didn't have all this full power and he just gave it up. But it's, it's, but it's kind of like the moment of recognition, which of course was kind of lost in the way they wrote, they, they edited the script. But it was kind of like at the end of a Jedi when Luke realizes what he did to beat Darth Vader and he rejects it when he walks away from the dark side once he realizes that this is where he was going and this is what he used and that's not what he wants. That's not who he is. So he's able to realize it and go, that's not who really who I am and, and goes back to what he was, uh, which was a true test for a Jedi. He just – that was in a novelization. That's the reason I kind of pref- – I prefaced it the way it was. In the novelization – Obi-Wan kind of had a longer talk with Luke and told him that that's what Anakin couldn't do. That was the true test of a Jedi is when you take that first step to the dark side, you realize it, and you walk back. They had put that in the movie. It would have, the ending of the Jedi actually would have made much more sense. But it's the same kind of concept that Luke realized what was going on, and that's not who he was and not who he wanted to be or who he needed to be. And he steps and he walks back. But, I, I mean, I like – personally, I, I kind of like – I like really powerful characters. So I, I it's kind of like a – I see where Andy's going with it, but, you know, like, I liked Hal as Parallax, and part of what made Hal awesome as Parallax was the power that he had. Yeah, you know, I, guess, so, I guess it's true. So yeah. it's tough. It, 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 it's tough. I guess it's, in a way, it's, I guess in a way, from a storytelling point of view, it's easier to have a villain that's super, that's really super-powered. Because it makes it much more challenging to come up with ways to beat him, and you gotta work, and you gotta work as a team. But as the old adage always always is if you have one villain versus if it takes like five heroes to beat one villain it always makes the heroes look weak mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like Doctor Doom versus the Fantastic Four I mean Doctor Doom usually can take out any one of them on his own most more times than not but together they, they can they can beat him 
So it's a fine line, but I, I'm not as clear-cut against omnipotent characters, but I do see where Andy's going with it. So. Well, yeah, I mean, some of my favorite characters, just to list them off, Firestorm. <laughs> Super powerful, biggest power, he can transmute anything into anything. <laughs> kind of a... <laughs> Uber super powerful being. <laughs> there's a there's a one point in this in the Firestorm run where he basically becomes an elemental force. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, also, and, and this is sort of a lesser extent because I don't really make this one super known. Uh, I for even though there's a whole not a whole lot of uh, stories out there of this character, Captain Universe in oh, the I Marvel liked, universe. Yeah, I always like Captain Universe. Captain Universe, that power that just sort of crisscrosses the cosmos and. <laughs> kind of lands on somebody like uh, I think my first exposure to it was a what if story like what if uh, Spider-Man still pass possessed the cosmic power or whatever uh, or whatever it was called um, Phantom Stranger <laughs> sort of uh, he's a mystical character magical character sure but he's like all doors to all universes times and spaces are opened up to him <laughs> uh, Ragman <laughs> He's got physical, powerful, and supernatural power. (laughs) So, you know, Thor, a god. (laughs) So uh, I'm probably not the best person to be uh, arguing uh, the side of, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, the the, the anti-point to what Andy's trying to say here. (laughs) But, and I liked Hal's, and I, from a power set point of view, I liked Hal's the Spectre, so that's in the same vein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it, so it, it is kind of tough. I, it's kind of cool that you mentioned Captain Universe, because I, that's one of my fond memories from, uh, well, I have really fond memories of Mantlo's, uh, Micronaut series to begin with. So, I do remember. He appears in that? Yeah, that's where Captain Universe came from. Captain Universe. Oh, really? Yeah, Captain Universe. Captain Universe was an offshoot of the Enigma Force. So, so Captain Universe, Captain Universe. I believe Captain Universe's first appearance. I'm trying to remember was Steve Coffin the kid or the father. But either way, that the first appearance of of Captain Universe was when that power came into our universe to help, uh, to help repel Baron Karza's first incursion to try to cross over from the microverse into our universe. That basically it took over... Uh, our universe is in the Marvel 616? Yes, yes. And f- because they were using the... Oh, God, what the hell was it called? The Prometheus Pit. They were using the Prometheus Pit. And I then, see, I never read my yeah, so I didn't know. Yeah, they were, and they were... Tr- and Karza was going to use the Prometheus Pit, which was a gateway, which was discovered as a gateway to go to the from into the microverse. He was going to re- use it in the... In reverse fashion to try to, I think, take over Earth, and the Enigma Force basically created the or became the Captain Universe power and took over. It was either Steve Coffin or Steve Coffin was the kid and it took over his dad. But either way, basically this this old this, this ex you know out of shape I think ex astronaut basically got possessed by Captain Universe and was able to fight off uh, Baron Karza and, and push push him back into the to the uh, microverse. And I think that was the first. That was the first use, I think, the first appearance of Captain Universe, and then I think Marvel Spotlight, when I think it was the same, that guy's son, that guy's son ended up, I think, also possessing it at one point in another in a in another story. Um, but yeah, it's just funny that you mentioned it because I have, I really, yeah, the, along with along with Rom, I find very fond memories of the, of the Micronauts, and I'm, it's kind of interesting to see how how they both are when they since they're being relaunched in their own way now. It's going to be 
Rom, I thought was a great series. But getting back on point, uh, this read Andy's uh, second comment. Uh, current Green Lantern. Thinking now about the current batch of comics, I am broadly in agreement with your comments. My biggest problem is with the depiction of Hal. I really want this book to be good, and the premise of the story, he's talking about the renegade Hal, uh, a sort of light knockoff of the animated series is good in concept and reasonably executed. While I find it difficult to get past some of the art, uh, particularly the way they draw Hal, <laughs> in the annual they have one panel where I can almost see a teenage girl rather than a grown man. Which I think I we re- know exactly which panel he's talking about. Yeah, I think about. we actually referenced that. I'm, I'm not sure if it made it through the edit, but I know we there were, there were de- several panels in which he, which he looked like a girl. In fact, he looks like one I know actually. Uh, he goes, I really think that the art lets them down. Um, and then I'll do the last part, the last two things, before, and we can touch about all three. I was going to say something about Lobo, but since I'm a fan of the old Lobo and can't understand why they killed him off, maybe I will save that. And by the way, yes, my comments about your coverage of Threshold were meant to be complimentary. <laughs> Cheers for now, Andy. <laughs> Which we kind of knew we were just playing around with. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't have much to say. I mean, he's, he's disagreeing with us already. So. Yeah, we've, yeah we, we, we agree. Uh, he obviously, we agree with your agreement with us. Yes, that's right. We're all in agreement, period. No matter who, no matter who, 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 start, who uh, the motion carries, no matter who brings it, brings it up for the vote. Yeah, because, you know, three's company. <laughs> Speaking of that, once we get done recording, let me let me tell you something I'm thinking about. Just because it'll be a nice segue because of what we ended up doing today, in a way. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're in, we're in agreement, and, again, some of these things we'll be talking about once we do the State of the Green Lantern universe. Some of these things, I'm sure, inevitably will be will come up again in the, uh, kind of like, you know, the, the pros and cons and so for sure, uh, and uh, Andy has a part in here about the Green Lantern Green Arrow uh, series, which I'll cover in the next episode of Green Lantern Green Arrow. Um, but that's it. Yeah, thanks, Andy, for sending us in the the feedback, uh, guys. Before we uh, go and Mark closes this out, uh, the reason you're getting this episode instead of the State of the Green Lantern Union is we plan to have uh, Sean Engel as a part of that, uh, and Sean hasn't been feeling well recently. So we wanted to give him uh, a little bit of extra time to recuperate and, and be involved. But, uh, you know, given the amount of stuff that we typically do on the Lantern cast towards the end of the year, you know, the Christmas episode and, you know, our anniversary stuff's usually around this time of the year if there is anything that we want to do and, you know, stuff we want to get off our plate before the new year, stuff like that. We definitely wanted to get the State of the Green Lantern Union sort of episode out this year uh, as soon as possible so it's not you know some big episode that we have out on the horizon that might conflict with things like the christmas episode or stuff stuff like that um so that's 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 why you haven't heard it we want to give uh, sean a little bit more time uh and you know if he can't make it you know um we'll we'll uh get his thoughts on somehow you know whether he writes us an email we read it on the air or, or what but uh Definitely wanted to uh, let you know that we we were postponing for a reason, uh, but uh, I can tell you that Mark and I are extremely excited to do it, and I can tell you that <clears throat> the parties that we have been speaking with uh, are also really anxious and excited to do it as well. So yeah, it's definitely an episode. We're, definitely an episode we're looking forward to. So we will we will be doing it sh- sooner rather than later. 
For sure, for sure. Mark, do you want to give us uh, the uh, closing information and close us out? Absolutely. Uh, email us if you'd like to email us. Lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. The website, yes, I know it's shocking, is lanterncast.com. Uh, feel free to go there, down, download our latest episodes, uh, check out Dark Star reviews, our Ring Cyclopedia episodes, whatever current news items we decide to post up there. We've been slacking lately, but hey. We, we, we have been doing a lot of episodes. <laughs> we'll get back on the ball soon. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, in, Instagram, and Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to find us on all of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so please, if you like us, leave us positive reviews on both. Last but not least, uh, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 708Lantern. 708Lantern. Uh, let us know what you think about this episode, previous episodes, what you would like to see, hear us talk about during, you know, the State of the Green Lantern Universe episode, other episode ideas or, or storylines you'd like us to cover that we haven't. Don't say Laura Fleece. Uh, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, um, that's that's going to do it. Uh, if you Specifically regarding the State of the Green Lantern Union, I can guarantee you your comments, you know, if, if, if we decide to read them on that episode or whatever, um, well, I can guarantee that we will uh, have them available to us if we want to use them. If you send them in before, uh, let me look at the date. Uh, today's the today's the 11th. Uh, I'm just looking at the calendar. Hold on. Um, I can guarantee you this episode uh, will be posting on the 12th or the 13th. Uh, of November, I guarantee you the, that we can we'll have them ready and in our hands if you send them before I say mid afternoon on the 16th, Monday the 16th. Because uh, depending on when we record that episode and who we're able to get on, uh, we might record that middle of next week or beginning of next week. We don't know, um, but. Uh, the, I, I'm, I'm, I'm factoring in the earliest time we would record that episode. So, 16th for safety, 18th, uh, you know, absolute cutoff. So, thoughts on Green Lantern, the property as it stands now as a whole, send us in those thoughts or voicemails to lanterncast at gmail.com. Yes, absolutely. Let us know what you... Regarding that topic, what you like, what you don't like, what you think it should be doing that it's not, what it's not doing, it, you know, just what, however you want to express it, just let us know what, what if you want to, you know, could be comparing how things were to how they are now or how anything, you know, because we're probably going to, realistically speaking, there's probably going to be elements of all of that, you know, in when we do our panel discussion, if not just, if not, if Chad and I don't go into it, you know, take it in a certain direction, or I'm sure our guests We'll, we'll take it that way at some point too so pretty much I think every angle or every aspect of the way you could approach this will be covered <laughs> for sure alright guys uh, next episode uh, is either is probably the state of the Green Lantern Union uh, depending on how much edit time it takes for me to get that done it's probably going to be a little bit of a longer episode so probably require some more editing I don't know if we'll have something in the interim so I'm, I'm just going to say it State of the Green Lantern Union is the next episode. Whether that means we skip a week and you get the State of the Green Lantern Union uh, episode between the 23rd and the 27th, 
that's one thing because I don't know if we'll have material for another episode between now and then. So we're definitely recording the State of the Green Lantern Union next week at some point. But depending on how much edit time, right. I don't know if it'll be ready for that week. So if there is a lag between you – know, if there's a week without an episode, please, please, please forgive us. But trust us, the next episode you get is going to be worth the wait. Or, we hope anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I, th- I mean, really I, based on con- based on concept alone, it should be, and based on the fact that I think I think any episode in which, especially when both you and I are kind of like passionate about mm-hmm. it, which is kind of a keep that 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 phrase alone, I think, will be important in the episode. <laughs> that the that having uh, if we're passionate about a topic, I think it's always make it always makes for a good episode, makes for a better episode. So I think, yeah, it, it should be fine. And Jim and I are trying to lock down a, a time to record the next episode of Pre-Birth, too. Whether that means we, you know, whether that means we can actually re- record Pre-Birth, you know, they have one theoretically ready to go if this, if the uh, State of the Union takes longer to edit. I'm not sure, but we are trying to lock down a date because I would like to get that recorded before the end of the month because, like Chad mentioned, that, you know, December tends to be hectic. Besides real world stuff for everybody, just the the, the st- stuff we like to do regularly at that time of year kind of cuts down on uh, limits or options for being able to record or fit more episodes in. Or so we have to do what we can when we can do it. <laughs> for sure. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. And next episode, State of the Green Lantern Union. Look forward to it, people. We'll we'll we will talk to you soon. Good night. Good night, everybody. Should we do the singing before, or so I can edit it, or should we do it during? What are you talking about? You didn't read the Nort story? Oh, for which one? The th- the, th- the theme songs? Yeah. Well, there's only one theme song. Well, he actually two it because he does many. He does Mighty Mouse, and then he does the Three's Company thing. Yeah, but we need a duet. The other one, the the Three's Company. Oh, the come and knock on my door thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now are we gonna are we gonna what are we gonna you're, do it? Are we gonna do it the girl. way he wrote it, the way he said it, or, or the because I because I'm what are the real lyrics? Come and come and knock on my door, isn't it? Yeah. Come on, knock on my door. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> and then it's just like the other thing. All 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 I all I need though is uh. Let me see. Let me look at it. Let's see. Number four. I'm sure, I'm sure I can pull it up anyway. I actually need the because I already downloaded the the sound. Um, the, 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 well, yeah, the, the 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 music only. Let's see, let's see, where is it? Coming, that coming knock on our door. Yeah. We've been waiting for you. Where the kisses are hers and hers and his. Three. Yeah, we can do that if you want. Let's. You want to do it at the beginning? Or you want to do it at the end? Well, well. It might be funnier you, at the you, end when you're tanked. No, you, no <laughs> you, 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 you and I have to sing the Eclipso. You're through like together. So there's only the, the, basically the only there's only two two things I need you to do. I need you to. You know, because it's the the song is "Come on, knock on our door," and then the girl goes "Come on, knock on my door." 
And we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, so I need you to do the, the girl part, basically. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Okay. And and the eclipse part we're we're actually gonna sing ourselves. Yeah, we'll we'll sing it together though, so it's so it overlaps because they they duet that part. So I do the now take my ringy ding and we'll make you sing eclipse till you're through or something like that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So we'll do that. We'll do that now, just so that we don't have to, you know, and then we'll but, just pretend. But we're, okay, but I want to make sure we're, we're singing North's lyrics. Yes. Okay. To the tune of three. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm making sure we're. Ch- I just want to make sure we're on the same page that we're actually singing his his altered lyrics, not the real lyrics. Right. So for me, it'll be. So I have to try to raise my voice, basically. <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to. I- I'll give it a shot. You can do it. You can do it either way. All right. Now, and we're and we're doing it at the same time. No, 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 no. We're alternating. Uh, we're, we're, we're alternating. Doing, we're, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. I thought. Just again, I just want to make. And then sure. we're doing together. Uh, After I've been looking for you, we're doing it together. Well, no, no, we're doing a clip so you're through together. I do now. Now my ring, now my ringy ding will make you stingy. Clip so you're through. You'll do the. You'll join me on the eclipse so you're through. Okay, so you're gonna, not, not the full part. Right, you're gonna do the my ringy dingy thing, and once we get yeah. to the eclipse, so then I'll join you. Yes, exactly. Oh God! At least you're being creative for something that's you putting. I can give you full credit for putting way, way more effort into this than, than the friggin' episode deserves. Even though it's not probably the worst issue of quarterly that we've read, but are you recording all this right now? Cause this yeah, awesome this is all. Years. This is all. Well, actually, let me just let me just double check. Actually, I should be. Re- I should be recording it. There's no reason for me to think that I'm not. Yeah, I know. Actually, I know. I know that I. I'm gonna check the right. folder, but I know that I am because actually I couldn't. I couldn't see the uh, yeah. I couldn't see the chat box in Skype or the the uh, button to be able to uh, open up the I am part until the uh, recorder thing disappeared off the screen. So that's how come I knew. All right. So do, you want do do you do you want to pull up the Three's Company theme song on YouTube so you can hear the way it sounds? I mean, I know you've seen the show. In I this think past. we'll be all right because especially since well. Since we're doing it one after the other anyway, and you're doing the mas- you're doing the masculine part, which starts it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then I'll just have to follow you. So well, I'm at, I, I'm at, I'm at the timing of it, so you know the timing because I'm gonna try and get it because even though I have the audio, I'm gonna try and make the timing work exactly the way it does in the theme song. Yeah, which is which is the same challenge we have with black with uh, exactly. music of the night. Exactly. Uh, so 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 not not we're, I mean, obviously you're not going to listen to it while we're recording because it comes through the recording whenever you play a video so yeah you have a link to the to the to the music uh, I I don't just go on YouTube and look up the Three's Company theme song okay hold on one second just so you can get a feel for the timing. Give it a shot. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta open up the comic again. Oh god, I hear the bottle cap. <laughs> All right, you ready? No, but. 
Alright. <clears throat> Watch me knock down your door. Watch me knock down your door. I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. Now my ringy ding will make you stay. I can't show you through. You through. <laughs> we gotta do that part again. Yeah. Alright. <clears throat> do you wanna do the so whole do, thing or just the last one? Yeah, might the... as well. Just in case one take is better than another. Okay. And then if, if not, I can, you know, half a one and have six a dozen of the other. Whatever. <clears throat> Watch me knock down your door. Watch me knock down your door. I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. Now my ringy ding will make you stay. Eclipse, Eclipse of you. Ah, fuck, we fucked that one up. I think I'll, I'll I'll wait till you start saying Eclipso and then I'll join. I think I'll let you start doing the E, then maybe I'll join in and then it'll be easier. All right, sounds good. <clears throat> Let's try. That wasn't a good take to begin with, so. Watch me knock down your door. Watch me knock down your door. I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. Now my ringy ding will make you stay. Eclipso, you through. through. Close. <laughs> Uh, you want to just try to try Eclipse your through? <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, no, well no, let's, it's, let's it's, just do the ringy dingy part because that. I right. mean, I know that's that's it's it's trickier because it switches, but that's between the other three takes. I'm sure we have something that works. Maybe like I think the first one was pretty. The first recording or the first try might have been good for the first part of the song. So let's just All do right. the ringy dingy part. All right, let's see. <clears throat> now my ringy ding will make you sting. Eclipse through. through. <laughs> Try it again. It was closer. <laughs> now my ringy ding will make you sting. Eclipse through. through. <laughs> well, you keep laughing at the end. It's not gonna help. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it's true. I gotta. All right. Well, come in right after sting, because it sounds there's like a delay, and you say lipso. <laughs> Well, the only reason is because we don't, we don't, we, it seems like we're not saying Eclipso in the same rhythm, and that's what's the only problem. Well, it's got to be just the same rhythm as the song, so it's got to be Eclipso, you're through. Okay, I'll give, I'll try that. I'll yeah, give, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> now my ringy ding will make you sting. Eclipso, Eclipso you're through. <laughs> <See? laughs> All right, let's try. <clears throat> Now my ringy ding will make you stay. Eclipse so you through. through. <laughs> we got something there. <laughs> it works good enough. Yeah, uh, between all of that, we can. I can and throw, throw, no, throw, and we'll throw in all the all the ones that didn't make it at the end. <laughs> oh, there's, no, good the... stu- there's good stuff at the end of the episode. There's 15 <laughs> minutes. No, it's there's nothing good at the end. <laughs>